0: well it's good to see you today and uh we want to uh go ahead and we're going to begin the christmas season by looking in the old testament you know jesus is in the old testament and you know his birth was foretold in the old testament more than once many times in fact through the old testament i did a study not long ago of uh, a record of The announcement of the birth of Jesus in the Old Testament and We're going to be looking at that for the next several weeks on Sunday morning And we're going to start in Genesis where, um, you know, there's a ministry out there called Back to Genesis You go back to Genesis if you want to find the beginning of things We're going to look at the first announcement of the birth of Jesus in the entire Bible But if you go with me to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to take a run at it Um, And while you're doing that, I just want to make an announcement about tonight. Uh, uh, We'll be doing a a study, a Bible study, at 6 o'clock this evening, dealing with Galatians 4.4, and it talks about the fullness of time. In other words, Jesus came just at the right time. Just at the right time. It wouldn't have been good for him to have come in the 20th century, or it wouldn't have been good for him to have come 100 years before he did. God set it up so that he came just at the right time. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4 4 says, is when God sent his son. And uh, we're going to look at that and see what that means. It's very interesting. And to me, it's very encouraging to see that nothing in the plan of God happens by chance. Nothing does. God's in complete control. That's what uh, one of the things it means to refer to God as being sovereign. He's absolutely in control of everything. Nothing happens by accident. Uh, And that's encouraging to me because I can leave here today in a crazy mixed up world knowing that my God's in control. I don't have to worry uh, because he's in complete control and nobody's going to do anything out there that he doesn't allow. And that probably he didn't plan. Everything is happening according to his will and according to his ultimate eternal plan. So I, I can rest in that. Uh, and I don't have to worry about things, do I? I don't have to worry. If God's in control, it's in his hands, isn't it? So we just leave it there. But Galatians 4 tonight. This morning we're looking at Genesis, starting in chapter 2. Now you know that the first three chapters of Genesis are the creation story. Uh, how the world and and the heavens and the earth and, and mankind and everything in the world was created. I'm not going to go through the whole uh, story there, but we're going to start in chapter two. chapter one kind of gives us a big picture of the six day creation and chapter two narrows it down and we see the creation of man and in chapter three we see the fall. and it's that chapter three we're going to really focus on but we kind of have to have to run at it. you don't want to drop into the middle uh, of chapter three without first looking at chapter two. It's kind of like coming into the middle of a conversation. if you don't know what was said before, then you're uh, at a disadvantage. So let's see what happens. Starting in chapter two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Now we know, we'll look here in verse three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, uh, this idea of the Sabbath, Jesus, uh, one, of, one of the biggest battles that Jesus will face in his ministry is misunderstanding about Sabbath law. You know, one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath at today and keep it holy, right? Uh, I remember my grandparents, uh, you didn't do anything work-like on Sunday in their lives. It does nothing. Now, let's get it straight first. Sunday's not Sabbath. Sabbath's on Saturday. Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday, okay? The Sabbath that, that, that's being spoken of in the Bible. We worship on Sunday because resurrection, right? Happened on the first day of the week, Sunday. So that's why we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. There are groups out there that still worship, Christian groups, that worship on the, on the Saturday Sabbath um, but um, I think if we recognize the resurrection, then it's appropriate to worship on Sunday instead, uh, as far as formal worship. Although, now we as believers, we're supposed to worship every day, right? Now the Sabbath is set apart without really giving a lot of detail on it, just to briefly mention. It's set apart because on the Sabbath, the day that later will be called the Sabbath, is set apart because something very important happened on the Sabbath, God on the day before the sabbath finished his work of creation complete it's done okay and on the sabbath God says it's done it's completed now God being God he doesn't require rest it's not saying that God went and took a nap that's not the idea here it's the idea that God ended the work of creation. It was done on the sixth day. Don, do you really believe in a six-day creation? Well, yes. Okay? Uh, some form of it. Yeah, six-day creation. There was an, uh, a, an absolute plan uh, uh, and limited by time that God created the heavens and the earth. Folks, look, if I don't understand or if I don't believe something as simple as six-day creation, how can I grasp the resurrection? It's in the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. Properly understood. Properly interpreted. We see that God made the heavens and the earth. Everything in it. In six days. Well how could that be? Well because he's God. Okay. And he can do stuff like that. And he did that. and, And it's important to understand. That at the very beginning of the Bible. That claim is being made. That our God. Is so great. And so awesome and so sovereign and powerful in his sovereignty That he can pull off the creation of everything in six days Because he's God So what is being told is not just the idea that God created everything But it's the idea of who is God That's the statement that's being made early on here in the Bible In these first chapters Is the idea that I understand who this God is that I worship and serve he is the creator, he's the sustainer. You know, the world, the world and the heavens and the earth was created in six days and is sustained by the God that made it. It is by an act of his will and his sovereign control over all creation that everything happens that needs to happen to keep us going. Okay? Everything from the fact that the earth goes around the sun just like it's supposed to to the fact that you're going to take another breath and then your heart's going to beat one more time. Everything in between that, okay? God's in control of all of it. And that's the statement that's being made early on in Scripture. God is God. You need to understand that. And why is that so clear? Well, because there were so many false religions out there at the time. Different uh, religious uh, persuasions that God's people were, were coming in contact with. You remember when Moses writes these first five books of the Bible, they've been in Egypt in slavery and bondage for 450 years and during that period of time they've been exposed to all those egyptian false gods and some of them claimed to be active in creation and now the god of the bible is saying in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth this god created not any of them not any of them he's making a point to help us understand who he is he's god and he created all things, All right? Verse four, they, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. I kind of repeat that. It won't make a point, don't it? And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not man uh, to till the ground but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of of the ground Now the world that God made before the fall Is very different than the world we live in today Very different Okay. First it hasn't been stained by sin Ultimately when sin happens It affects everything in God's creation Okay. But even you know we had this rain this morning And I got up pretty early this morning And it was raining pretty hard where I was We had a pretty good steady rain uh, One of those soaking rains Right today we well, you know before the fall that's not how things happened. it said a mist came up from the ground god created the world in that way so that all the the earth was watered it was a very different world sin changed it all so we see some description of what it looked like then uh, verse seven And the lord god formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. First thing we need to understand, especially as we're going into this um, this story this morning, your life does not consist of your body, your physical flesh. Your body does not consist of that. I have known people that were handicapped in some way, that didn't have the ability to physically function uh, as they uh, as as a healthy person would and they couldn't do certain things. You remember, you're familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. She uh, was injured uh, when she was a young person in a diving accident, became quadriplegic, paralyzed completely from the neck down. Have you ever seen any of the paintings that she did? She holds a toothbrush in her teeth and paints beautiful paintings, okay? But she doesn't have the ability to do painting the way an artist, uh, an artist would today, but, but she did that. So she was was limited. Um, are you going to say she's any less a person because she can't physically move her hands and, and her legs? Well, obviously not, okay? She has abilities that, we, we, that I don't have. I can't paint with my hands, much less my teeth. Um, there was, uh, some of you might remember who Roy and Dale Evans-Rogers were, okay? They had a little baby girl. Um, when, right after they had gotten married, who was born as a hydrocephalic child, Um, mentally limited, couldn't really physically do much of anything. And Dale Evans wrote a book, uh, you may be able to find a copy of it today, the name of the book is Angel Unaware, and it's the story of that little girl and when she was born. And are you going to say that that little girl, because she could not communicate the way you and I do, you can't even move around. Sometimes a child that's hydrocephalic, they can't do much, and you don't know if they ever really even know you, you know, because mentally they're—it's just not there. It's water and fluid on the brain that keeps uh, that prevents development of the brain. And she talks about that little girl as being God's angel that she that God sent to them, this little girl who didn't live very long. Uh, and uh, passed away at a young age, and yet, are you going to say that little girl is any lesser person than you are? Well, no, you're not. You know what? The body, life, does not consist of the flesh. There are people that are very, very physically healthy that are not very good people. And there are people that can barely move they are some of the best people you're ever going to meet. There are people that are super intelligent, that have all kinds of degrees from universities and everything. And there are people that can't read and write their own name. And that doesn't determine their goodness or, or their lack of goodness, does it? It doesn't say that one is better than the other. They're all creations of God, right? Life doesn't consist of flesh. Man became a living soul, a living spirit. Because God did something when he made man that he did not do when he made all the other life forms in his creation. He breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living, eternal soul. Different. Hey? Okay? You know, we sang that song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. That's a song that talks about our faith, that one day because of our faith in Christ, we're going to be in heaven with him forever and ever, Right? But you know what? I can rest in that knowledge because Jesus finished the work of my salvation on the cross, and my body is going to die and go back to the dust from which it came, but my soul is going to live on forever in the presence of God because life does not consist of the flesh. You were made a living soul. Now, I know people like to think that dogs and their cats are too, but I'm going to tell you biblically, they're not. Okay? Much as we love our animals, I've got animals too but as much as they love as we love our animals the difference between an animal and you is you have a living eternal soul. God made you that way okay So man became a living soul and the Lord God planted a garden east in Eden verse 8 and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, Tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, in verse 9, we're introduced to to what is going to cause a problem for man. Was it literal trees, or is it a something that's a representation of something else? Is this uh, an illustration or... Or an image of something else. Here's what it comes down to with this. There are, there are two trees or two ideas or whatever you want to say it. But it's basically this. One of them is this. This tree of of life. The idea is that God has provided something that brings life. You didn't provide it. I didn't provide it. And Adam didn't provide it. God provided it. Something that brings life. And the other idea is that God has provided The understanding between right and wrong God determined what's right and what's wrong Good and evil God did that Adam didn't Adam did not decide what's good and evil God decided what's good and evil And when God tells Adam later on in the story We're going to see that God tells Adam Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil What in the world does that mean? Does it mean just don't eat from a tree and that's all? And when he eats whatever that fruit was He got in trouble No, it's much more than that God says, Don't do this because I said don't do it. And the idea is that when you do that, you will have sinned against God and assumed on yourself the right to determine what's right and wrong. And God has determined what's right and wrong, not Adam. Okay? Adam, understand this, for Adam and for Eve to eat from that tree, it's not that the eating of the fruit Was the bad thing? It was the fact that they willed to eat from that tree. They did it. Okay? They made a decision. That's where the problem is. They made a decision. God said not to, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care that God said not to do that because it looks good and it's going to make me like God. That's actually what is said here, and we'll see that in a minute. And they get in trouble when they do that. So here's the idea, whether it be two literal trees or just something to illustrate a greater idea. I think the greater idea is the most important thing. One is God provides eternal life. And the other thing is God says, I determine what's right and wrong, not you. And when you decide what's right and wrong, you lose eternal life. Because God says on the day, and we'll see it in a minute, on the day you eat from this, you will surely die. That's what it says. So let's look at that. All right, now, uh, look in verse 10. And the river went out from Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became uh, into four heads. The name of the first river is Pison. That is it, which compasses the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellum and the onyx stone, and the name of the second river is Gihon the same as it is that compasses the whole land of Ethiopia and the name of the third river is Hidkel which is which goeth toward the east of Assyria and the fourth river is Euphrates and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it verse 15 is there's just a powerful message in verse 15 he takes Adam and he puts him in this garden we're given some idea of where the garden is because four rivers are described now at least two of those rivers don't exist today or if they do they have a different name and let's remember something also these boundaries are all boundaries before the flood so it may have changed a lot since then but we're told there's a garden god made a garden god puts adam in that garden and in verse 15 it says he put it in put him in there to dress and to keep the garden two ideas in verse 15 the first thing is you were created to accomplish something in life you were created to do something with the life that god gave you he puts adam in the garden and says take care of it dress it and keep it that's your job adam you do this that is your responsibility there to dress and keep the garden You have something to do. This idea that people are born and they can live their life and depend on everybody else to support them, and they don't have to really produce anything in life, that is so sinful an idea that's not even in Scripture. You were given life to produce something with your life, okay, to use it ultimately for the glory of God, all right? That's why you're here. God made you a living soul to produce something with this life that he gave you. Adam keep and dress the garden. The second point that we want to see in verse 15 is, and, and we won't go to the text, but I'll just tell you how it works. In verse 15, he said to dress it and keep it. The same language is used later in, I believe it's in Leviticus, where the mission is given to the Levite priests. who are gonna be the religious leaders, the ministers of, of the temple and the worship of God later in Old Testament history. They're the ones appointed by God to care for the worship of the people, especially in the temple or before that in the tabernacle. Their god their job to do that. And the same terminology that God used when he told Adam to dress and keep the garden is the same term used when God tells those Levite priests to care for the worship in the temple that the people come to worship God. The same terminology. Here's the idea. Through that which you do in your life that God created you for, you are worshiping God through what he created you to do. That's why it is absolutely, it's completely inappropriate and downright sinful for a person to say, well, I'm just going to float through life and depend on everybody else in the world. No, you were made to glorify God with the life that he gave you, to dress and keep something, to care for something. You were meant to produce something in your life. That's why God gave you a life uh, We have to remember that God gave us a life To be lived For his glory okay? So dress and keep the garden Adam And then the Lord God commanded The man saying of every tree of the garden Thou mayest freely eat Here it is But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Thou shalt not eat of it For in the day that thou eatest thereof Thou shalt surely die There it is Adam You can do anything out here. I'm giving you permission to eat from any tree or to live your life as you see fit. You go out here and live your life freely, except one thing, okay? You don't get to decide what's right and wrong, Adam. I do that. You're not God, Adam. You need to remember that. You are not God. I have said what is right and wrong. I put the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. You didn't. And here's where we run into trouble even today. You know, all sin is rooted in that. That idea. Every sin that anybody commits is rooted in the idea that at some point in my life, I have decided that I get to make the decisions. And God says, I am the one that has determined what is good and what is evil. You don't get to do that, Adam. You follow my direction. You follow my word. You follow my leadership. Okay. You follow my guidance. It's not about you, Adam. It's about me. That's what God is saying to him. So, Adam, don't do this because the day you do it, you'll die. Now, we know in the story, Adam did not die physically when he ate from the fruit but he did die spiritually remember life doesn't consist of the flesh it's spiritual the flesh is going to come and go it goes back to the dust from which it came but the spirit lives on forever soul lives on forever and and Adam died spiritually as soon as he stepped out and said I'll make my own decisions he died spiritually he did die just like God said on the day you do this you'll die Paul says that we were born in sin. We came here in sin. For, uh, the Psalms say that. David said in Psalm 51, he was born in sin. Uh, Paul said we were dead in sin. You came here dead in sin, a dead soul. Something had to happen to take my dead soul and give it life. It's called redemption, salvation. Grace of God. Okay? And it's not because of anything I did. Because of him and his grace That I have salvation at all Do not eat from the tree of the good and evil for in the day that you eat thereof Thou shalt surely die and You and all your descendants Will come into this world dead When they got here okay? And in verse 18 And, and you know in something summary verse 18 when you, We see something that, that changes just a little bit Every time God did some act of creation He said the same thing and God said it was good. It was good, except here. It's a little different. And Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. A helper, one to come alongside him, to walk with him, to live out life with him. I'm going to make a companion for man. Because all the other animals in God's creation, every, and I'm saying all the animals in God's creation... Have a helper, a companion. There's a male and there's a female for all of them except man. I made Adam and he doesn't have anybody. And God said, and that's not good. That's not good. It's not good for, for man just to live his life alone without a companion. So he's going to make a companion, a helper, one to come alongside him to live out life with him and from the ground. From out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them and whatsoever Adam called every living creature that was the name thereof and Adam gave names to the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field but for Adam there was not found helpmeet for him Adam did not have what everything else in creation had he didn't have a companion He was by himself Somebody also asked, Do you really believe that Adam named all the animals? Well, yes. Yeah, I believe what the Bible said, and I'm going to leave it there. Okay. And the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore shall the man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh And they're both naked the man and his wife and they were not ashamed so we see the completion of God's creation and the last act of creation is that God makes a companion for the man a woman it, it's interesting to me to see that Adam was made from the dust of the earth. I've talked to young people about this, especially young women, for them to understand something very, very important. That uh, Adam came from the dust of the earth. And the way I see it, every other part of God's creation came out of the earth except one. You know, Adam was made from the dirt. A dog was made from the dirt. A bird was made from the dirt. A tree came out of the earth. A woman was not made from the dirt and it'd be a good thing for women today to remember that they were not made from dirt and they don't need to be treated in that way and they should not live in that way they were made by an act of God okay in a way different from any other part of God's creation God took a rib from Adam you believe that Don yeah I believe that God took a rib from Adam and he made a woman and Adam all of a sudden In a very, very old text, one of the oldest things written in the entire history of writing in our world, Genesis, we find out that Adam could do what many of our leaders in the government today cannot do. He knew what the difference is between a man and a woman. You know? We have people on the Supreme Court that can't tell you that. Adam knew. And he didn't didn't need any explanation. He knew, this is is different for me. This is not me. And then he says, we see the establishment of marriage. Therefore, verse 24, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the Supreme Court didn't get to decide what marriage is. It's not their place. Never asked them. Okay. Congress doesn't get to decide what marriage is. They just voted on that, you know? You know, that's mighty nice of them, but it wasn't their decision to make it in the first place. God's the one that came up with the idea. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, who is a she. Let's get pronouns straight here. A she, a, a, a woman, a man and a woman. God set it up that way In chapter 2 of Genesis God set it up that way You know Jesus repeated that In the New Testament That very text Okay, Um, It's just in our time We've got a different idea Don't we Because we're doing what Adam was told not to do We're deciding what's right and wrong Instead of letting God decide that And we're having a lot of trouble Because of it aren't we Okay and they're both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed of the relationship that they had as a man and woman. Today there's nothing but shame in what they're trying to call marriage. Okay. Now the serpent was more subtle. Go right into the next chapter. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field of which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. let we'll start there just in that verse. Versus idea of the serpent. Was the serpent the devil, or was the devil in the serpent? I don't know. I know the devil's involved here, okay? But the serpent, the personality he had is very different before the fall than he is today, right? He was more subtle. He was sneaky. He was crafty, one translation says. More crafty than any other uh, creation, any other creature in God's creation. And here's the way the devil always tempts people. He tempts us according to the word of God. He will always attack the word of God. Hath God said? Did he really say that? He cast doubt in the life of the believer about what God said. Now, that's just why it's so important for us to get into the Bible and read it and read it and read it and reread it and learn what's there and interpret it correctly and remember what's there and apply it to our lives and believe it and follow it because the devil's going to come your way one day and he's going to say, did God really say that? And you can say, well, yeah, he did. Okay? Did God really say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, did God say that? No, God didn't say what Satan just said or what the serpent said. He didn't say every tree in the garden, did he? He said one tree don't eat from that Adam you don't get to decide right and wrong Adam don't do that and the woman said unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the tree uh, the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat of it and neither shall you even touch it lest you die did God say don't touch it no he didn't (laughs) But see here's what happens when you start dealing with the devil over the scripture you're going to start questioning and you're going to change it best thing is just don't deal with him on the issue and read the word for yourself what the unbelieving world and what satan is saying about the scripture is not your problem read it thus saith the lord that i'm going to rest in that i don't care what anybody else says rest in what the word said but she says we're not to eat from that tree Uh, That tree in the garden And not even touch it He didn't say that She's already changing things He's changing the words that God said Can't do that And the serpent said unto the woman Here's where you're working You won't die You will not surely die Go ahead and eat Go ahead and do what you want You get to decide that See how smart you are See how wise you are? In fact, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. See, on the day you eat from that tree, Eve, you're going to be just like God. You'll be a God yourself. You'll know the difference between good and evil. It's not that Adam and Eve were idiots because they weren't. They just said in the Bible that Adam was so brilliant, he named every animal in the world. That's a very intelligent person. But it's that God said, this is the one thing you can't decide for yourself, Adam. Right and wrong. I determined that. But now the serpent says, on the day you do that, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her. and he. You know those three things mentioned in verse 6? That's the temptation of Jesus. Look at it. She saw that it was good for food, the lust of the eyes. And she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes lust to the flesh, it's pleasant it's pleasing and a tree desired to make one wise, a lust for power I'll be like God it's exactly what Jesus was tempted and it's how you're tempted the devil had not changed his methods they work so well the only one in fact that stood against that temptation was Jesus, right? but you won't, unless you stay in the word of God and she took and she ate and gave it to her husband with her and he ate and the eyes of them both were opened they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made aprons made themselves aprons verse 7 they knew they were naked in other words they saw what they had just done they saw their sin to the point that they had to cover themselves and they heard the voice of the Lord verse 8 walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden Adam does something that he has never ever done and from here on he'll be doing this and this is the result of Adam deciding that he gets to decide right and wrong that he gets to play God for the first time in his existence Adam hides from God he hides he hides he heard the Lord walking in the garden, and he immediately hid. Why did he hide? He knew what he had done. and He hid himself from God. He, he, he could not face the God who he had just offended, who he had just um, forsaken. He could not face the God whom he had just rebelled against. You know, Adam did the same thing that Judas would do years later same thing he offended and rebelled against the god that made him and now he's hiding from the face of god and the lord god called unto adam and said where art thou now, Do you think god knew where adam was well of course he did god wanted adam to know where adam was adam where are you look what you've done adam do you see what you've done do you see what you're doing now You decided that you know the difference between right and wrong, and then when you took action on it, now you're hiding from me. Where are you, Adam? Look where you ended up. Now here's the thing that I I thought about as I read this text. God made a perfect creation. It could not be better. Adam was born into something. You know, you talk about people today that are born into wealth and all that. Listen, Adam was created into something that... He could not have had a better place to be created, a better opportunity. It could not be better. He had everything. You know, everything, really. He had even the face of God. He could talk to God face to face anytime he wanted to. He had the very presence of God where, where he could spend time with God and talk to Him like I would one of you. He just had that ability. He had all of the beauty and the glory of God's creation. There it was, and God said, enjoy it. It's all yours, except one thing, Adam. It's all yours. It could not be better. And then it's something how we can take the best and destroy it. And that's what he did. And what happened? He destroyed the best that anybody in history will ever have. He destroyed it, and now he's hiding from the one who gave it to him. That's where sin takes us. That's where sin takes us. And he said, verse 10. I heard the voice, your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I was afraid? I've never been afraid of God before, but now I'm afraid, and I'm hiding from his presence. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? Now, I want you to understand something. God knew he did it as soon as Adam did it. Who told you, Adam? He'd been listening to, Adam. Now, again, God knows who Adam's been listening to. He wants Adam to know who Adam's been listening to. Adam, who have you been listening to? Who told you that? Who told you that? It may be a good idea not to listen to that serpent anymore. You think? And the man said, the woman, her fault. Whom you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now, something here, God God says who told you to do that and look what Adam says the woman and God is not her fault the woman you gave to me this is your fault God and that's what we're doing today we do that right now we talked about this in Sunday school this morning and it's how we take things and, and, and in our sin we turn them around you all know if you watch the news this week about the the club, the uh, the gay club in Colorado Springs where a man went in there and shot and killed people. Terrible that anybody would do that, anything like that, shoot and kill people. Um, and and he went in and found out that actually he was one of them, okay, according to the news, he was, um, he, was he was homosexual himself, I'm just going to leave it there, okay. He was one of them. He didn't come from the outside. He was one of the people who went in and he killed them. But you know what they did it was in the news yesterday. Somebody went to the main office of Focus on the Family, which is in Colorado Springs, and vandalized the sign out in front, and they're claiming that it's the fault of the Christians that stuff like this has happened. Christians didn't have anything to do with that. Nothing to do with it at all. Hey, but here's what we're doing. It's God's fault, and it's the fault of those Christians that all of this evil's going on in the world today. And so we're going to blame God and we're going to blame anybody that believes God. Well, that's what we do. Adam says, God, it's your fault. You gave her to me, and she told me that, and then I did it. It's your fault, God. Not my fault. That's what we do when we sin. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? What have you done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and and I ate. And the little God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. So, doesn't this look terrible? The whole thing's falling apart. Adam has gone out here, and he's, he's just decided that he can play God, and he's destroyed himself his wife, he destroyed her, she's destroyed herself now you got this serpent coming in here and they're believing every lie that he has to say and they rejected God completely, the whole creation is destroyed, there's no hope, right? well remember I told you we want to look at what the Old Testament says about the coming Messiah verse 15 and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel now here it is i'm going to put division hatred um, hostility between you serpent and the woman you're not going to like each other and her seed and your seed um, are going to battle one another and you will bruise his heel, and he will bruise your head. Now, what in the world does all that mean? It's like this. Somebody's going to come, devil, later on in the line of this woman. Her seed. Somebody's going to be born way in the future. Her seed. This is in Genesis 3, right? And he's going to be born, and you're going to bruise his heel. Now, there was a nail that was driven through the feet of Jesus, right? On the cross. But he's going to crush your head. You're going to injure him. He's going to destroy you. He's going to destroy you. Here. And here's the promise of the coming Messiah. The title of the message was Victorious. And here's the idea. God ultimately is going to have the victory. Jesus, years later, will go to a cross and he'll die on the cross and they'll bury him in a tomb. And three days later, he has victory. I love the song and the hymn book, Victory in Jesus. Something for us to remember. You know, we ought to memorize that song. Victory in Jesus. He has victory. God created him to have victory over the devil and over sin. The interesting thing is, is that the one who does have the right to determine what's right and wrong was the one that had the victory. It wasn't you. It wasn't me. It was him. And the promise is, one day... One day, and folks, this is what Christmas is about. This is what Christmas is about. One day, God's sending a victor. will have victory over evil and over sin and over Satan. One day. Do you understand what that means? That all the way back in chapter 3 of Genesis, first book in the Bible, God makes that promise. The Savior's coming, a victor, a Messiah. He's coming, sure enough, and he did. We're going to just close with a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Let's all pray. Father God, we we read this story so old, a story of of right and wrong and and truth and and lies and and a story of, of destruction and death but also a story of life and victory and we see a promise in the third chapter of the Bible that you're going to send a Savior and you did and we know him in the person of Jesus and I pray as we go into the Christmas season we'll declare that message everywhere we go that there is a Savior and that the plan from all eternity before the foundation of the world was that he would come Be with us now as we leave this place and bring us back, Lord, at the next appointed hour. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his glory alone. Amen. Thank you and you're dismissed.